This evening, we are looking at the second commandment, again on page um, 890 in the Trinity Psalter Hymnal. We've confessed, 890. Lord's Day 35, the second commandment. And the second commandment is the worship commandment of the church, or one of the worship commandments of the church. If you want to worship ethically, if you want to worship morally, biblically, then you need this commandment. We must obey this commandment. And you avoid breaking this commandment by keeping the first commandment. And we read in Heidelberg on the first commandment, question 95, what is idolatry? Idolatry is having or inventing something in which one trusts in place of or alongside of the only true God who has revealed himself in his word. Now, the Western church, and we belong to the Western church, the Western church hasn't really ever suffered the instead of things. We haven't really struggled in the Western church with the alongside, or with the uh, in place of. The in place of has never been our problem. The problem of the Western church is the alongside of. The alongside of God's word, we struggle with placing things besides God's word. We don't usurp God's word. We don't take away God's word, but we do struggle in the West with putting something besides the word. We are troubled with beside things, and we love to place those things in worship. And the Western church has increasingly sought after religious experiences beyond God's word, and we have placed those things in our worship services beside the word. And the West is slowly losing the solas of the Reformation in the church. We are losing our sola scriptura identity. And we must go sola scriptura. We must go sola scriptura in worship, in life, and in doctrine. We must go sola scriptura in theology, piety, and practice. And it's a strict identity. And I know that. I know it's a strict identity. But without this identity, we are left with our own understanding. Or worse, we're left with the opinions and commandments of men. And at worst, we're, that, we're bound and we're always bound without Sola Scriptura actually to the opinions and commandments of men. So in reality, Sola Scriptura is very liberating. It's a very liberating doctrine. Now you might be thinking, how did pastor get Sola Scriptura out of you shall not make for yourself a carved image? It's negative. It says, do not create worship after your own image. But Christ has taught us rightly how to see the Decalogue. Christ has taught us that there are positive implications of each of these negative commands. There are positive implications for all the negatives. And the positive in thou shalt not worship this way is thou shalt worship God's way. That's the positive. Worship according to the first commandment. Worship according to God's word. Worship according to the second commandment. And worship this way only. Now, this means personal preference. This means personal preference is out if your personal preference does not, is not prescribed by God's word. Now, if your personal preference happens to be prescribed by God's word, then let's have it. But if personal preference is not prescribed by the word, then personal preference has to go. 
If you cannot trace your practices back to the word, then your practices need to go. That's how you sola scriptura. That's how you sola scriptura with doctrine. You only want to believe what God says. That's how you sola scriptura in life. You only want to live how God commands you to live. That's how you sola scriptura in worship. You want to worship only as God has commanded. It's strict, but it's freeing and life-saving. Now, ancient Israel belonged to an image culture. Their idols were carved in stone. They carved their idols in stone. Their idols were images. They failed by worship. They failed worship. They failed to worship God rightly through images. We today belong to a feeling culture. We fail worship by forming worship according to our feeling. Contemporary worship literally asks one thing. Does it feel right? Does it feel good? Does this guitar solo sound good here? Or is it better to go closer to the beginning? Does the lights turned out set the mood? Or should we kind of turn them in with some shades of red? Oh, and I know that more smoke during the refrain, that's the sweet spot. <laughs> oh, and we need to update these visuals. I think we need to go HD, church. I think we need HD. That feels right to me. Does it feel right? Then it's right. The ancient Near East wanted to see their gods. We want to feel ours. And the problem with both cultures, the problem with both cultures is sovereignty. The question is begged by both approaches. Who's the sovereign? God or the worshiper? Yet the second commandment is grounded in God's control. God wants all the control. And he's jealous for this control. He's jealous for the control. Exodus 34, 14, listen to God. He says, for you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. He's jealous to control every part of worship. Not one part does he want to give over to the creativity of fallen man. And worship is grounded in God's jealousy for his holiness. He's holy. He's other. Therefore, he can conduct worship. We're not holy. We're not other. We cannot conduct worship. Worship is controlled by God who wants all the control. Jesus says, if you love me, you will do what? You will obey my commandments. This jealousy is analogous to a husband's desire for a pure marriage bed. The bride of Christ must forsake all others and worship God alone as he says alone. Worship is sola scriptura. Now, this commandment we know is unique in the fact that it blesses and it curses. The second commandment blesses and curses. If Israel 
disobeyed God, God says that he will visit their children to the third and fourth generation. Who will he visit? Now that visiting is visiting in wrath. He will come in his wrath to the third and fourth generation of those who what? Hate me. How do you hate me? By carving images, by not worshiping as I command. Worship is catechism. We are either catechizing our children in idolatry or we are catechizing our children in love. That is, training them to love God as he has commanded, doing what he has commanded. So the second commandment basically forbids man-made practices. We should be satisfied with God's word. And the greatest example of this is, and I always go to, to this, these two characters, and we all, the Reformed, always go to these two characters when we talk about the second commandment, and those two characters are two priests, Nadab and Abihu. You're probably familiar with Nadab and Abihu, priests of the Lord, recognized, ordained priests. And in Leviticus 10, we hear in verses 1 and 2, now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, that's the writer's way, the narrator's say, way of saying, they're, they're, prescribed, they're prescribed leaders. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, that's not their problem. They were, they were Levitical priests. Each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it. And that's all good. That's all right. That's what the Lord commanded. But then the text says, and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. Now, what's this unauthorized fire? That is, they, they, they changed the incense. They didn't have some kind of weird fire. Fire is fire. I mean, they, they basically... They got tired of the, um, the incense. They're like, ah, oh, the same incense every week? Oh, I'm so tired. I need, it. I need something fresh. I need something new. And so they changed the incense. Let's, let's get something fresh and contemporary. Let's get something new. Let's get a different smell. And then it says, the text is real clear, which God had not commanded them. So by their own opinions and own commandments, they, sh they, sh they shifted they switched the incense. And then it says, and fire came out from before the Lord. That is, fire came out from the mercy seat, the place of mercy. But he is also just. And from the mercy seat came out fire and consumed them. And they died before the Lord. And the text says they died before the Lord because they did what God had not commanded them. When, the, when, they, when, they, when Israel later on in the Bible, when they start offering their children to Moloch to burn their children alive, a, a, an, a, an abortive, a grievous, gruesome abortive process, burning their live children at stake. And when God comes in wrath to destroy Israel, you would think God would come. I am destroying you because you killed life, but it doesn't. It says, I am destroying you because you have worshiped how I have not commanded you. Not because you're killing your children. Well, obviously that wasn't what, but ultimately because you were worshiping, not as I have commanded you see, in worship, God is intensely displeased by those who do not do what he commands. And when I tell Christians this, sometimes they'd be like, that's Old Testament. That's Old Testament. We want to be Marcionites again. That's an old ancient heresy where you have the Old Testament God and the New Testament God. So many want to be Marcionites. I'm like, don't be a Marcionite. Don't say that. 
It's the same God. He doesn't change. He's the same today, yes, and forever. Hebrews 12, 28 says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. That's Hebrews' way of saying, don't pull a Nadab and Abihu because God's the same. Give him acceptable worship. Acceptable on his terms. First, second, third, fourth commandments. Obey them, do them. In the New Testament, we see there's a certain way to behave in God's household with reverence and awe, decently and in order. And when it comes to the second commandment, the church must ask, has God said? He has said, absolutely. And that is all we can do in the church. That's the positives. Strict, but freeing. But Heidelberg not only deals with the positives, worshiping only God's command, but it also deals with the negative. And the negative is, can we not make any image of God at all? You see, we're still an image culture. They were an image culture in the Reformation period when they wrote this, and it's still applicable today. We're still an image culture. Moses wanted to see. Thomas wanted to see. We want to see today. And God is still a spirit and does not have a body like men. Heidelberg does not allow the church to reproduce the invisible. Why? Because reproducing the invisible is really all about making images after our own liking. We don't have access to God's image. So who's really the sovereign? God or the artist? Who's making whom? Who's in control? God is not like our liking, and frankly, God doesn't like our liking. He is in control of his own image. God may not be controlled. Worship according to images is not worship according to God's word. Then you might say, what about images outside of worship? That's worship, but what about outside? Is God, out, is God, God outside of worship? You see, the, divine, the making of divine images is exclusively, exclusively the right of God. He holds the copyright. <laughs> And, and we can't beg him for that copyright. We can't pay for the copyright. And any image we make of God falls so far below. God has never and will never surrender the copyright of the divine. Now, the real question behind this catechism and the real question today is this, but what about Jesus? Because Jesus became man. There's a copyright. We can see it somewhere. Born of the Virgin, Suffering under Pontius Pilate. I know one thing about Jesus. I know one thing that he looked like. I know one thing that Jesus looked like. Not the European male with the high cheekbones that you see with the black sheep or knocking on the door. Not that Jesus. Jesus looked like this. He looked just like Mary. <laughs> right? Now, what did Mary look like? I don't know. <laughs> But he took after his mother, trust me, because he was truly a man. Although it doesn't always work, because I think my kids look just like my wife, but they don't look like me. <laughs> John 14, 8 through 9, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough. I love Jesus, huh? No. Have you not been with me so long? Show you the Father, and it's enough? No, look here, Phil, look here. If you've seen me, what? You've seen the Father. I'm enough. 
It's all you need. I got a little secret for you when you get to heaven. You're going to get to heaven and you're going to be like, hey, Jesus, show us the Father. You know what he's going to say to you? Man, didn't you read John? <laughs> I already had to tell Philip this. If you've seen me, you got the Father. You got enough. I'm good enough. Jesus is the express image of God. Jesus is the only authorized image of God. Now, let me ask you one more important question. Is Jesus God? Children usually get this one. This one's easy for kids. Hey, kids, is Jesus God? Yeah? Can we make images of God? No. So what does that mean? <laughs> hey, kids, have you seen Jesus? How can you make the invisible? Can you draw the invisible? Did the disciples command us to draw him? Sola Scriptura, right? I know it's strict, but we've got to be consistent. Did the disciples say, here's what he looked like? Matter of fact, did the disciples ever explain to us any, of anything about him? Oh, what he looked like? I mean, his character, I mean, it doesn't. It never says, oh, you know, he's about five foot three. Kind of an ugly dude with a beard, maybe. Actually, he couldn't grow hair right here. He had a patch right here. We couldn't grow hair. I don't know why, you know. And he never talks about it. Like, he's kind of balding. I mean, Isaiah says you would look at him and not think anything special. That's what Isaiah basically says. Isaiah says you would like, oh, that's Jesus. That's the Messiah? Oh, that's Bob. My, I thought that, that's my neighbor, Jesus. I saw him running, you know, he's playing in the street as a kid. Always a good kid. Always thought he was a really good kid, but... <laughs> Drawing Jesus is not sola scriptura. It is a besides thing. It is a long side of God's word thing. The Bible's not a picture book. Jesus is God. He is now invisible. And the Bible doesn't command it so we don't do it. Moses wanted to see. Thomas wanted to see. And the Lord has heard your requests. And he has given you a sign. And when you see the word, when you see the water of baptism, when you see the bread and the wine, look beyond the bread and the wine and see the things signified, Christ's true body and true blood, and receive your salvation, sola fide, sola gratia, and thank the Lord by seeking to glorify the Lord in all that you do. But make sure you do it according to God's word alone. Amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.